You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. church is not about itself. We are here to bless people who have no affiliation with the church. We love this community, we love this world, and we want to impact this world. So we serve each other and we serve the world. Good to see you today, and it's uh, it's good to see you on the on Thanksgiving Day weekend, right? Like uh, you've been able to, hopefully you've been able to be with people. You've had some some great time together, and the weather is just spectacular, right? Like I don't know uh, I don't know how how we got blessed like this, but we're we're blessed. Well, today, as Jake said, Jake mentioned we're in a final of a, of a series of sermons called "Be Part of This." where we've been taking a look at what does it mean to be part of what God is up to in the world today, and what part is God asking us, inviting us to play? Because there's a part that God asks us to, to be a part in. We know that salvation is a gift that comes to us from God. It's nothing that we can earn, but there is something that when God is at work in our life, he asks us to take up. He asks us to join with him in his work in the world. And, and so we've taken a look at, at some of those things that we can be a part of. One of the things that also has been guiding our conversation over this past month is a, is a letter that John Wesley wrote where he described some marks of people called Methodists in ways in which they carried out an ambition, really, to to come alive to God, to be alive to God, to express faith. Now, Wesley was a, was a guy who was born in 1703, died in the 1790s, and he was somebody who, who was a preacher. He was an evangelist all over, all over England, spent a few years in, in, or a year or so in Georgia, but most of his life he spent in England. And we have a picture of Wesley up there on a horse because he wrote about a quarter of a million miles on a horse. That's a lot of time spent on a horse. Um, I... I don't even know if I'll get to travel a quarter million miles in my life in a car, but that's a lot of miles on a, on a horse. Uh, but as he went on a horse, he preached about, he preached about Jesus and people encountered, people encountered God, sometimes for the first time. And a lot of people were renewed in their, in their faith. They came alive and they said, well, what is it to follow after God with, with our whole heart? And Wesley, in, in being somebody who, who was a leader of, of other people, said, you know, there's, there's some things that, that we know we can do, some things that we can be responsive to in terms of what God's been up to here. And so he laid out this three, what's called three simple rules for people who were called Methodists, who, who, who had a very methodical way of, of approaching life. And the three simple rules are right there. Do no harm, 
do good and stay in love with God. A couple weeks ago, we, we heard about staying in love with God. And staying in love with God is, is embarking upon things like being present in worship. Staying in love with God includes reading scripture, attending to the reading of scripture, to the preaching of scripture. Staying in love with God means uh, presenting yourself at a place where, where the Eucharist or where the Lord's Supper is celebrated because there's something that God does when in us and, and for us, with us, when, when we present ourselves to him in that way. Staying in lo- love with God means practicing some of the spiritual disciplines. And there's a number of spiritual disciplines along the way. The other thing that is up there is doing good. Um, doing good, in, in Wesley's understanding, was things like doing good to, to other people or for other people in, in the sense of, of their bodies. It's a sense of having a charitable heart. Wesley talks about the necessity. If you see somebody who's, who's hungry, well, there's food. If you see somebody who needs uh, clothing, you know, who's naked, they need clothing. But doing good also, in Wesley's understanding, reflected into a number of other arenas. Doing good meant to, if you see somebody, if, if you're a business person, if you run a business, and you see somebody who needs a job, Wesley said he encouraged people, do good in the way in which you invite somebody to join your team and train them and, and give them a job if they, if they need a job. Or he said, if, if you're a business person and, and you have other people within, within the confines of, of where you worship, and, and you can interact in, in, the, in the space of business, do that. Wesley said, that's, that's a sense of, of doing good. And, and Wesley noted that in his own day, it may not have always been easy to follow after God. And so he says, you have to run the race with perseverance. Uh, on Thursday, there was a race in, in Springfield, right? The turkey trot. This year, I wasn't able to run that race, but I know probably a number of you were in here. You ran that race, and to run a 5K, to run any kind of race, you know you have to persevere. You have to, you have to run that. You have to give yourself to it. And Wesley said, you know, we have to, we have to do good by persevering in times when, when times are tough. The other thing he put up there was staying or uh, do no harm. And today we're gonna, we're gonna look at do no harm for just a little bit. What is what does Wesley mean by do no harm? Well, I told you Wesley traveled about a quarter of a million miles on a horse. That meant he had a lot of time to think. And he was also very methodical, so he made lists. Wesley, Wesley liked to put lists together. If you, ever, if you ever want to read something where there's a lot of lists, just pick up one of Wesley's sermons. You'll, you'll read a lot of lists along the way. Wesley, he, he spelled out in, in more detail what it might look like not to do any harm. And, I just want to put some of these up there in front of you for just a moment so we can see what Wesley talked about. He talked about how we do no harm when we, when we don't take the name of God in vain. And we, we do no harm when, when we don't profane the name of the Lord or, or the day of the Lord, uh, either by doing ordinary work or by buying and selling. When I was a teenager, I found myself uh, trapped, if you will, in all of the activities that I was, I was in between going to school playing some sports and doing other things. There was one thing I really loved to do that I didn't get a chance to do, and that was go out to the field and sit on a tractor and pick corn. Now, some of you, that may not sound like it's a whole lot of fun, but uh, there was a Sunday afternoon, and, and we never did this in, in, the, in my family. We never did kind of farm work on Sunday, but I was just pining for that. And so I went out, and I got on a tractor, and I picked a load of corn. And then I told somebody about it later. You're never supposed to do that kind of thing. You don't tell somebody about that. Um, but I told somebody about it, and they looked at me like, you, um, are you not supposed to do that? Aren't you supposed to, that's the kind of thing that you're supposed to avoid? 
Later on, when I was about 40 years old, I discovered the reality through the help of a spiritual mentor that actually, in the way in which I'm wired up, in the way in which God has um, tuned my own heart to hear him, spending a few hours on the seat of a tractor is something that I need. In fact, a spiritual guide said, it's like a spiritual discipline for you. You need that sense of space. You need that, that encounter where where you just hear a motor run, run and you hear things and yet it puts you in a different space where you can actually, you can be mindful of what God is up to. You can hear him. And so Wesley said, don't profane the day of the Lord. And, and he's got a, a few more things there to go along with it. But it's like, what is it he's really after? What is it where you can hear God and you can encounter Jesus? Wesley's really interested in that. How do, we encounter, how do we encounter the real presence of Christ? He talks about drunkenness, and, and that doesn't lead us in the way of Christ. And then he goes on. He, he talks about, let's keep, keep going. There's a, there's a big, long list. There's 16 of them. And he talks about fighting and quarreling. That doesn't lead us in the way of Jesus. Legal disputes between brothers and, and returning evil for evil, or I like this phrase, railing for railing. Um, if any of you have siblings, you might know something, what that looks like um, from time to time. Uh, using too many words in buying or selling, buying or selling untaxed goods, unlawful interest. What else do we have? Uncharitable and or unprofitable conversation, particularly speaking ill of magistrates or ministers. Um, put that out there to some of the folks who, were, who are on our staff and somebody said, what's a magistrate? an old-fashioned word for politicians. And so you look at that and you think to yourself, at least I do in my own life, I'm like, I wonder if there are any uncharitable or unprofitable conversations, particularly around politicians or other ministers. And then I think about <clears throat> some of my interactions with Pastor Jim, who I like to tease, and I wonder if I him too much from time to time. And I'm like, Wesley, I think my toes hurt just a little I don't know about you, but anyway, you can begin to, to look at this list and think how they play out in your own life. Doing to others what you would not want done to ourselves. Doing what we know is not for the glory of God. Uh, Wesley had something against putting on costly apparel. And uh, that played out in, in, uh, in a professor's life. He didn't wear any wedding rings, and we asked him about that, and he took Wesley's words to the, to the great extreme. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, we all have to work out our sense of salvation with, with that regard. I'll keep my wedding band on, I think. Um, he talks about the songs or the books that we sing and how they shape or don't shape our mind and our hearts. Do they shape us in a way that leads us in the ways in which God is, wants to lead us in? He talks about softness and self-indulgence. Oh, that, that hits... Uh, close to home. We're a culture that, that wants things easy, and yet Wesley said, you know, there's something about the ways in which Jesus may lead us where we may encounter some hard things, and do we want life to be soft and easy? Wesley challenges us there. A laying up treasures in heaven, and, and, uh, or here, not laying up treasures in heaven, but laying up treasures here on earth. And then he talks about Borrowing without any intent of repaying. This list that Wesley puts in front of us 
some of the things that are on that list, you may, you may think they're like for somebody who lives in a different time and space. And yet you may also read the list and you go, I think that's rather contemporary to the world in which we live. That's like I can find application here. One of the things that strikes me about what Wesley is writing about is he's writing about the reality that he belongs to a group of, of other people who live in a unique time and a unique place with a unique culture. And yet, at the heart of who they are, they long to follow after God. They long to be responsive to God. And that takes, it takes an active heart that's open to God, and it takes an active of mind and body that's willing to say, you know what, I'll follow where the Spirit leads. I'll do what Jesus asked me to do. And so Wesley puts this, these rules in place, not as, a, not as a box, if you will, to box people in, but as a, a way of saying, we're going to give ourselves to what God is asking us to give us, ourselves to. And so there are some things that we, we must do, and there are some things that we can't do. And it's a unique conversation. And that conversation gets to, gets to play itself out not only in Wesley's day, but it plays itself out in our day. And it plays itself out throughout all of the pages of the scripture as well. Because walking with God in faith isn't, well, it's, it's not a downloadable manual. There's not just a list of these are the things you do and these are the things you don't. But it's an active walk of following after Jesus with great faith. We see that sense of active walk play itself out in the book of Acts, where there are people who've encountered Jesus, they've seen Jesus, they, they've followed after him, and yet they find themselves in a lot of unique places and circumstances and situations. And in that moment, in those moments, they have to say, what is it to follow after Christ in this place? In chapter 16, there's a significant story about Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas, along with some others, Luke and Timothy and some others, are traveling in eastern Greece. And they come to the city of Philippi. And in the city of Philippi, they find a number of people who are open to, to the presentation of the gospel of Christ. And they also find some people who aren't very interested. And then Paul does something where he, he casts a demon out of somebody who's, who's demon-possessed. And, and that causes a ripple effect where where people lose some money because of that. And the people who lose money then become very upset at Paul and they have Paul and Silas arrested. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. They're flogged while they're in prison. And, and then around midnight, they begin to sing songs. It's kind of a thing that we wouldn't necessarily expect from somebody who's just been thrown in prison. They begin to sing songs and then there's an earthquake and then their chains are, are taken off them, not because the earthquake somehow causes that to happen. And then we find that Paul and Silas are taken to the jailer's house to explain, to kind of unravel all that's taking place. And then in the morning, the jailer takes them back to the prison. Like, there's still something about the experience where there's a, a legal matter that has to be, be cleared up. And in the morning, at the end of that whole experience, Luke says this. He says, at the morning time... The legal authorities sent the police to the jailer with the order, release those people, Paul and Silas in particular. So the jailer reported this to Paul, informing him, the, the authorities sent word that you both are to be released. You can now leave. Go in peace. 
Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a, a federal prison in Nogales, Mexico. I was invited to go along with a guy who, who ran chapel services. And when I got there, he, he said, I've brought a guest with me and he's preaching. I wasn't prepared to preach, but I had to preach on the spot. And it was a, it was a, a marvelous time. But one of the things about being in that prison in Mexico was that, that as I walked into the prison with street clothes, I noticed that everybody else who was in the prison had street clothes on too, except for the guards. The only way in which I was different from the people who had to stay was that I had two temporary stamps placed on one on each hand. So one of the things that I knew that if I wanted to exit that prison that day, I didn't want to, I didn't want to wash my hands. And two, I had to stay really close to the person who was my guide into that place. And so we were there for about an hour, and then all of a sudden he comes to me, and we're, we're having this conversation. He says, we have two minutes to get out of this place. And I'm like, I need to follow and follow swiftly. I had no intention of, in fact, when I went to Mexico, I had no intention of going into that place. And I really did not want to stay there overnight. It's interesting that when the authorities come to Paul and they say, it's time for you to go, it's time to release you, Paul comes back with this comment. He says, even though we are Roman citizens, they beat us publicly without first finding us guilty of a crime, and they threw us into prison, and now they want to send us away secretly. Paul says, no way. They themselves will have to come and escort us out. The police reported this to the legal authorities who were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. The, the legal authorities in that day had been found to have broken the law. And they didn't know that they had broken the law, but they had broken the law, and Paul pointed that out. So they came and they consoled Paul and Silas, and they escorted them out of prison, and they begged them to leave the city. But Paul and Silas left the prison and they made their way to Lydia's house where they encouraged the brothers and sisters and then they left Philippi. Do you notice what happens in that story? The legal authorities in Philippi have found themselves in a bit of hot water because they've arrested somebody and they've flogged somebody and they've put somebody in prison who's a Roman citizen and yet has never been tried. They've broken the law. And in other cities where people broke that law, there, there were high prices to be paid. And so Paul, on the one hand, says, something's wrong in this picture. And he said, I'm not going to allow for that wrong to simply be swept away or swept under the rug. I'm not just going to run away from what's taken place. I'm not going to avoid it. But on the other hand, on the other hand, Paul is very gracious because after the authorities come and they, they have that meeting with Paul and they ask him to move along as best he can, Paul goes to the home of Lydia and he does some work of encouragement. And then Luke says, after he encourages, they do in fact leave the city. There's an art that Paul is living out in this place where he says, we can't just let that which is wrong go un, unnoticed, but we also have to bring mercy and grace to this place. 
And so Paul shows us that he lives out righteousness along with mercy. Paul does not seek to do harm to the people that did, did wrong. But no, the reality is, is, that, is that he longs for that everybody in the city, everybody in the city, whether the people in Lydia's house who've said yes to Christ or their people in the governing authority, wherever they're at, that they would have an opportunity not just to know who has done right and who's done wrong, but know that everybody would have an opportunity to encounter the righteousness, the goodness, the blessing, and the glory of God. That's what Paul's really interested in and, and he's really after. And so Paul has to check himself, like I can't just advocate for my rights, but what I really have to be interested in here is what is it for God's goodness and God's righteousness to be found in this place. I have to live in such a way that I don't harm the authorities. And I have to live in such a way that I don't harm the church. I have to live in such a way that God's goodness can be found here. And so he does that. He does that artfully. Now, each and every one of us in this place, we've got spaces, unique spaces that are are the places where we're called to live and the places where we're called to follow after God, where we're called to, in fact, live out God's salvation with all of the, the storylines and all the things, all the gifts and abilities and all the challenges that each of us have that are unique to our own circumstance. So how do we do that? How do we address that? There's a couple of things that have, have struck me as I've looked at Wesley's list and I think of and I've thought about how Paul expresses faithfulness. One of the items on Wesley's list that was there before was the idea of, of not speaking in too many words, not using too few or too many. And I thought about that as this past week there was time to spend together with family. You know, if, when you spend time with family, there's all kinds of conversations that can be brought up, right? Brought into the around the kitchen table. You can speak about things that you're passionate about. Sometimes you can tell stories about long memories of, of long ago. Sometimes there's something in your own heart or in your own spirit that just hasn't been right or hasn't, it hasn't sat well with you or been well with you for a long time. And sometimes there are things, deep things of, of great love or great admiration that you have or you feel, but you've just never given voice to. Some of us, we're really loquacious. We're good with words and we like to use words. And sometimes we're, we have the capacity and the ability to, to speak and maybe fill the space in which we're in. Recently, I found a check in my own spirit saying, you know what, maybe you ought to just listen a little more. But some of us, maybe we, we have a hard time saying what's really deep and meaningful to us. And because we have a hard time saying those things, there are people close to us who, who don't really know how we think or how we feel. And Scripture and the example of Wesley would say, there are moments where you have to say something. It may not 
it may not be a great deal, but you, you have to step into this space and give voice to what you really feel deep down. Because words really matter and words are powerful. And words can be words that heal just as much as they can be words that cut. In the past month, I've began to encounter the deep gift of grace when people speak just a few words. A month ago, my brother passed away. And there's been a sorrow that has um, come upon my own heart that I've, I've never experienced before. And then along the way, cards have been sent from people close by and from people long, a long ways away. And quite frankly, in my own mind, in my own heart and spirit, I kind of thought that cards were a little passe, right? Greeting cards, were, they were a thing of the past, a way in which people, not with the same kind of technology that we have, they would leverage those instruments. But as cards would come with just a few words, began to experience a gift of, of comfort, a gift of presence that just was like God uh, giving a gift of grace to my own heart. I realized that words matter. Not necessarily a ton of words, but just a few words. They really matter. And so some of us, some of us may need to be challenged. Some of us who are quiet to speak a little more, to express something. Some of us may need to be challenged not to speak so much, but to listen. And I'm challenged to re-embrace the gift of sending cards in my own, in my own life. Then there's uh, something else that pops up on, the, on that list. And we're in a season of, of giving and there's all kinds of um, things around us right now that are encouraging to give. And Jake, in fact, earlier reminded us that, that we've been thinking about uh, 2018 here at Schweitzer and, and what is our giving pledge, our giving commitment going to look like for 2018? And giving is important. Giving to a place like this is, is incredibly important. And giving in, in our world is important. It's been important and it's been significant to people who follow after Christ since the earliest days of the church. Like we want to be people who are generous and we want to engage. Recently, I watched the, the film, uh, Same Kind of Different as Me. I don't know if any of you have seen that film. Some of you may have read the book. The book came out four or five years ago. And in the middle of the film, uh, there's a, a point when, the, and the film is really about a guy who's really wealthy and a guy who's really poor. And they connect at a, at a soup kitchen. If you haven't seen the film, I'd encourage you to see the film or, or read the book. But the guy who's, uh, who's significantly wealthy takes the guy who's, who's living on the street, the homeless guy, and, and they begin to develop a friendship. And he takes him to the country club where they watch a tennis match. And the guy who's, who's been living a homeless life, he's like, I don't get this game. And he's like, that's okay. You don't have to get the game. It's just, just a way for people to, to, to express themselves. And so then they go in to the club, and there's actually a 
it's a, it's a bathroom scene. And one of the other members of the club said, you know, I, I think what you guys are really doing is, is really cool. But he said, I don't know if this is really the place for you to bring somebody like your, your friend. He's like, I'm happy to write a check and all, but, but you know, I kind of come here to get away from all the worries of life and all the things that I have to deal with every day. I thought about that. I thought about that for many of us and for the world in which we live in. There's all kinds of places where people give us an opportunity to write a check or to give some resources. But what we find in that story and what we find playing out in the walls of Schweitzer is that some of the greatest giving that can be done and some of the deepest giving that can be done is when people don't just give of their monetary resources, but it's when people give of their time, when they give of themselves, when they give of their presence. When they come alongside of somebody else, like in a class, like faith and finances, or they come alongside of somebody and they serve as a mentor in Jobs for Life, they come alongside of somebody in the garden, or they serve as a tutor at Pittman, and they serve in the Good News Club. They come alongside somebody else, and people begin to exchange their stories of where they've come from and where they're headed, where people talk about what it means to follow after God in that moment. See, that's a, that's a great giving. Because you have to give, not just of something that you, you earned or was given to you, but you have to give of your very self, your very sense of presence. This theme of be part of this is, is a theme that is really a great invitation that comes up from all of Scripture and comes into the world. It's a, it's a theme, it's an invitation, not simply of of our invitation to be part of what is happening here, but it's an invitation from God himself to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And for each and every one of us, that invitation comes at different times and different places with different asks. But know this, that wherever you're at, Jesus knows how to invite you to walk with him closer to follow him, to take the things and the blessings he's put in your life and to give them back to him as an offering. And he knows what the uniqueness of that looks like in your life and in my life. And he makes the ask. He invites us this day and every new day to be a part of what he's doing, of building his kingdom here in this place and in your life. Jesus, thank you for your love and your care and your concern for us. Thank you for the invitation that you bring into the world in which we live, into our lives, to be part of what you're doing. Help us be people who do good, who refrain from doing harm, and who stay in love with you now and always. In your name we pray, amen.